Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here with ScheduleFly, and I was really excited that John Zucker let me come interview him. John is in Charleston, and he is very well-known there and has been very successful for a couple of decades, which says a lot in itself. Uh, And as an example of that success, in 2019, this year, the Charleston City Paper named John the best chef in Charleston. Now that is, that's not easy to come by. If you know anything about the culinary world, Charleston's an incredible culinary scene. There's a lot of great chefs doing amazing stuff there. So that's a a big deal for sure. And another big deal about John is he actually graduated number one in his class at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris um, back when he graduated in the late 90s. And that's amazing. I mean, people, great people, great chefs come from all over the world to go to Le Cordon Bleu and they compete vigorously for that number one spot. And, uh, John took it. So clearly the man can prepare great meals, great food, incredible dishes. Um, what he can also do is he can lead a a team of people to be successful for a long time. And that's a very unique skill set in itself. I mean, uh, you know, he started crew catering about 20 years ago, opened crew cafe a year after that. And, uh, just opened Perlou a few years ago. And, you know, he's had people that have been with him over a decade. Uh, he's, he's, as you'll listen, as you hear, when you listen, he's a very humble guy. He's very authentic. He's, um, very genuine. He, clearly cares about his people. He cares about cares about the food he puts on the plate. He cares about the experience his guests have. He cares about his community. And it's no surprise that he's been able to endure in a very competitive market that's had, you know, various economic cycles and um, so on and so forth that you have over the last couple of decades. And here he is, uh, still rocking. So um, now, John, when you listen to this, I'm really bummed about the Dodgers, as I know you are. Uh, the day we recorded this, the Dod- the LA Dodgers were starting in the uh, playoffs, and they had a game that night, and they won that game. They won six to nothing, I believe, or maybe six to one over the Washington Nationals. They lost the series, and John and I talk at the end of this podcast briefly about the Dodgers. A very short clip uh, and a very long conversation about hospitality. But John, we blew it. It's a bummer, and it really was crushing. So. Uh, we'll share in the misery in that and just look to next year. Uh, and uh, hope springs eternal, right? So, folks, uh, thank you for listening to this. Uh, thank you for uh, indulging me with uh, my comments there. Uh, but this is a great conversation. It's a great talk about hospitality, what it takes. John's a phenomenal dude, and this was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. All right, what's up, y'all? It is Will with ScheduleFly, and we are live, and I am here in Charleston, or North Charleston, I guess, and uh, I'm with John Zucker, and John is, well, John's a badass. Let's just put it that way. He uh, he has been in this business for a while. He started crew catering, um, almost, what, about 20 years ago, almost? The catering's been open 20 years, and the cafe will be 20 in February. Crew catering will be 20, I mean, crew cafe will be 20 in February, yep. and then you open Perlou uh, two years ago? It'll be two years in November. Okay. Yeah, it went Good fast. Deal. 
And you were the number one graduate in your class at uh, Le Cordon Bleu. And oh, you checked your... your oh, I did my research. <laughs> exactly. I did. I graduated at the top of my class, um, I believe back in 95. Um, went to Paris, didn't know any French, and just made sure I learned as much as I could. All right. Well, I, don't, I want to find out more about that. And one other thing I read is that you spend a lot of your free time thinking about this stuff. And thinking about how you can keep it fresh. For that, even in our catering, we do everything from scratch. We don't pre-order anything that's pre-made, and we want to put out the best possible product that we can. And we started here at the catering. We started in a really small 700-foot square kitchen right around the corner from where the cafe is, and then we moved up here up, up in North Charleston about nine years ago. It helped us to improve our product and... and kind of hit more people out there okay so we have, right. i haven't shown you the kitchen yet but i will afterwards and yeah i want to see it. you'll see exactly how we operate we're in full operation right now where's the cafe the cafe is on 18 pinckney street it's okay. about a block away from market um we're fortunate to be in an area that is close to the market so we can service a lot of the hotels around there yeah and we're also right across the street from the carriage tours so we get a lot of people from that and you know, we focus on the locals, though. We want mostly our locals to come on in there and have a seat. And we've been doing business with them and making sure that they're taken care of for 20 years. 20 years, man. Yeah. Tim, I, I, I tip my hat. Literally. Thanks. I mean, that's that's fantastic. It's a tough business. It's hard Absolutely. To do um, I mean, you can't do it without good people. So, Well, um, you know, you have Angel here. Is, uh, and Angel, what's your last name? Powell. Angel Powell. So Angel's awesome and does PR with John. And... Uh, you know, one of the things I've learned is that you can you can generate PR and interest early in a place, but then to sustain those customers for a long time is a real challenge. And I've talked to people that said, yeah, we got a lot of people coming in the doors and then we forgot how to take care of them when they were there. And it's a problem when we're having to figure out how to how to make that happen. You know, like there's a place in New York that, you know, really popular and, you know, all this stuff. And then but you got to keep them coming back. And that's well, we build relationships with our our customers and you know a lot of them are people that I hang out with outside of work and have built friendships with and you know when they come in they they know that they're getting a good product and they're also going to be in a atmosphere which is similar to their home yeah and we try to create that at both of my restaurants yeah let me ask you this okay so get me take us back you how did you okay so you went to Le Cordon Bleu you you didn't speak French so what what was your initial entry into hospitality? Have you been cooking since you were young? Or? So I always loved Colorado. And okay. Is that where you're from? No, I'm from California. Okay. I grew up in Los Angeles. Okay. But when I got to be about 17 years old, I, I didn't like Los Angeles that, that much, but my whole family was there. So Why didn't you like it? it it's just crazy, too many people. I lived in Burbank for two years. I know what you're you did. About. Yeah. I mean, it's just too many people. And I moved up to Northern California, went to school up there at Sonoma state. And my dream was always to go to Colorado. Had you been there when you were like, did you go skiing when you were, my cousin or? lived in Breckenridge. Oh God. <clears throat> so when I was about 11 through 13, my mom would send me there to go skiing every Easter. Oh. And basically she was getting rid of me, but you know, you're like, 
Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> One day to acclimate to the yeah. altitude, and I'm good. <laughs> well, at that age, you don't have to acc- acclimate much. Yeah, you don't much. when you're young. That's right. Yeah. You do now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had altitude sickness. It's yeah, terrible. me too. Um, so, ultimately, I wanted to end up in Colorado. I love that state. I love skiing, mm-hmm. which, unfortunately, I haven't done recently. But I ended up moving there. And, of course, when you move to a ski town, if you want to ski, you get in the restaurant business. Yep. And you work nights and ski during the day. How old were you then when you were out there? I was, I think, 27. Okay, got it. So I hadn't cooked until then. You hadn't cooked, and you no. had already been through college? and. Well, I mean, I didn't do that well in college. Okay, fair so enough. That's fine. I ended up knowing that I wanted to do culinary eventually, and that's what I, I really focused on. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so I I ended up moving to Colorado, landed a job in a restaurant and I was dishwashing. And, no, I was actually, um, an essay. Okay. So I was a server in Breckenridge. Yeah. A okay. server assistant in Breckenridge. Didn't like that vibe of the front of the house because they're all about money. Okay. Yeah. And I was making great money. Yeah. But I love the kitchen. I became friends with them and then ended up moving from essay to dishwashing. Okay, so you took a step back in income yeah. to do something that you actually enjoyed. Exactly. You, in an, or at least in an environment or the part of the restaurant that you enjoy, which is the back of the house. Right. Well, I was new to that, so I hadn't learned. I didn't, I didn't know the separation or yeah. the difference of, of how people reacted to their jobs in a restaurant. And the front of the house is definitely a different vibe. Yeah. So I, I was dishwashing, and part of dishwashing, you do a little bit of cooking at this restaurant, and I was good at it. So, you know, I ended up being a cook. And a year later, someone came up to me and said, do you want to be my kitchen manager at my restaurant? So I went to another restaurant. I was a kitchen manager. I didn't let me, like... Uh, let me ask you this. Let me stop you. What, you said you were good at it. Like, what? Why? What happened early that... Was it because you have a maybe a sense of a creative personality and it just really... You felt in flow when you were doing that or... I just... I think at the time, I just got it. You just got it. Okay. Yeah. I understood what it took to put something out of a, of good quality, not overcooking it, not. You cared. Yeah. Lot. I mean, yeah. it just came natural. Yeah. Okay. It really did. Yeah. I mean, at that point I knew that this was probably something I want to pursue because it came so natural. Okay. I do remember when I was younger, my dad used to cook a lot. My mom cooked almost every night, but I wasn't that involved in it. And then, then my, then my dad would cook special things occasionally and, Kind of sparked my interest as a young kid. Okay. But then once I got in the kitchen, which I had never had that experience until I was 27, um, it just, like I said, became natural. You know, it's, a, it's, it's really interesting when uh, I love these stories when somebody finds, and sometimes there's people that find it even later in life, but when you, through serendipity, you find the thing that you go, this is it. Yeah. I love it. And some people go through their whole life maybe not finding that you know they no i was they wind up in some job they don't like and then they you know and whatever but it's a great thing when you find that i mean they my whole family didn't know where i was going to end up yeah um were they worried i'm sure they were but i mean the things back then that your parents would let you do at a younger age yeah i mean i'm when i was 16 my mom and dad let me take my car and drive to sun valley idaho <laughs> Park City, Utah, uh, Colorado, and make this round trip at 16 years old. 
Oh my gosh. And That's we awesome. kind of grew up fast. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I didn't really know. I, I was terrible at college. I, d- I didn't enjoy it at all. And it's not for everybody. No. We think it is, but it's not. No. And I, you know, I, I even think now that if I was going to do it over, I would have taken a break before I went to college. Yeah. That's smart. And try and find out what I want to do. Maybe I would have landed in a restaurant and maybe I would have learned to cook earlier. Maybe. Save a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I want my kids to do that. I've got three kids. My daughter's 15. They're going down this track right to college. Everybody goes right to college. I'm like, dude, just. Yeah, slow it down. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So eventually, you know, I started cooking this restaurant and, and people saw that I had the ability to understand the position of a cook and. Grasps, I really grasped food costs real well. Okay. Um, and it just came natural to me. So eventually, you know, managing a kitchen was the next step in that town. Did that for about a year. And then I said, I, I need to get serious about this. And I started looking at culinary schools. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the time, there weren't any real good culinary schools in the United States. Okay. There was CIA and C the one in California, I can't remember the name of it, but they, they really weren't well known for creating chefs as they are now. Okay. So I immediately went to my family and said, I'm interested in this. And I think that my only option is to go to Europe. And we, my cousin that lived in Breckenridge and myself took a backpacking trip into Europe and we went through Lyon and Paris and we went to several schools and we looked at them. Wow. And there were two that were really top of my list. And one was Le Cordon Bleu and then one in Lyon that was, I can't remember the name of it, but, um, the, those were the two options. Okay. And came back to the States and I said, this is what I want to do. And I got a sponsor and moved to uh, Paris for a little over a year. That's awesome. Yeah. How, did you love it? I did. <laughs> what dr- I so would go you, back tomorrow. How, how did you become number one in your class? What was what Well, was it was really competitive. Um, yeah, I bet it was. You know, there's people from all over the world, and there's also housewives, and they're taking classes. I mean, there's a real mix of people at the school. And I played baseball my whole life, and I was real good at it. I played it in college, and I have Dodgers this. Fan? Oh, yeah. So am I. Nice. Heck, yeah. Uh, tonight. 8.30. Yes. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. So that competitive nature in me was brought over to the food industry and was fueled by these people from Japan, Portugal, Normandy, or Norway. I mean, everyone from all over the world was attending the school, mm. and they wanted to do well. Yeah. You know, that competitiveness really spark more interest in me. I didn't really know that there was a, a top of your class person. Yeah. But I knew that these people next to me really wanted to beat me. Okay. And not physically, but do better than me. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was leaving or preparing to leave the United States, I was just going to do culinary classes. And my mom looked at me and said, if you're going there, you go do pastry and you do the culinary and you do the full program. So you learn everything. Right. Best decision I made. Mm. I started, I'd never done pastries or any, anything other than, um, 
than the, the other culinary side of cooking and got into the pastry classes and it just really came natural again to me. And these people next to me from, I mean, especially from Japan, they were so competitive. They wanted to do so much better than anyone else. And really, really sparked my history of competitiveness and I wanted to, I wanted to do well. That's awesome. I love that. <clears throat> I used to take pictures of all the food and and see the chefs look at my food and, and just be amazed that I was producing that food that well. And it really was satisfying. I bet it was. It really was. That's awesome. So then eventually after you know, after doing both courses think it was nine months of school and then they'd give you a month off in between three sessions we get to the the end and um they make you do a final exam and they basically give you 12 ingredients and say all right all right make something out of these 12 ingredients and then they put you in this auditorium with with the kitchen and they make you speak in French and present your dish or prepare your dish. Oh, so you had to learn French too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had translators, but it's not an easy language to learn. No. Well, I mean, maybe when you're, what I did is I learned 10 words a day. Okay. Yeah. And they were mo- mainly culinary words. And then I had a book that gave me the sentences I needed to communicate with people around town. Okay. If I needed to order something or, or ask directions or whatever I needed. I had those basic lines down. In Paris, if you try to speak French, they will they will help you. If you're an American and you go there and you speak English and you don't try to speak French, they will not like you. So as long as I was trying, eventually the French that I was trying with would speak English. Okay. Yeah. Initially they wouldn't. Right. But they saw I was trying. It's all you're trying. Je, so, je parle un petit peu français. Un petit peu. <laughs> it's about as far it's as I can. It's been years. <laughs> but um, so they put me in this auditorium and I'm presenting, I'm preparing my dish to present to these people who are watching me cook and it's seven in the morning. First of all, when I arrived at five in the morning to start prepping, my chef is there, grabs a bottle of wine, Slams it on the table and says, Miss Yuzuka, let's get started. <laughs> and pours us a glass of wine at nice. five in the morning. Oh, boy. The true French way. And, uh, you know, ended up in the auditorium atmosphere. And I was doing the souffle dish. It was, um, it was filet of sole with a salmon souffle in the middle of it. This is the dish I came up with. And halfway through me preparing this really fragile dish the electricity goes out <laughs> the whole building so i have this the souf- japanese were sabotaging yeah exactly <laughs> we had no idea what was going on honestly that thought went through my mind <laughs> i bet it did <laughs> so um you know 10 minutes later electricity's not on 20 minutes later later electricity's not on so the the mm. chef comes in and says hey we're gonna we're gonna cancel this and do it again tomorrow all my friends that were sitting in the auditorium they all brought champagne because we were going to have some champagne afterwards well we start pouring the champagne because the chef said we're not doing this till tomorrow so we start drinking the champagne 
we're getting real happy and the electricity goes back on chef comes back in okay miss yuzuka we're gonna we're gonna do this <laughs> oh god <laughs> well at five in the morning i started drinking you started wine drinking wine now you've had the champagne <laughs> yeah and i was feeling pretty good and i had this souffle that was sitting in the refrigerator and i don't know and it was already had the eggs in it so you know i wasn't even sure if it was going to work um so i continued through came out nice um they seemed to enjoy it obviously because i graduated top of my class um but ultimately that experience also <laughs> got me ready for restaurant life you know adapting yes and overcoming these obstacles which happen all the time all the time every day well so do, do you wake up now and have wine and champagne every no. morning so that you can like recreate this amazing experience i'm not gonna say i haven't done that <laughs> that's your secret but um you know the french like their wine yeah and they bring it when when these crucial points of your life are are gonna happen and, and yeah. it was it was you know it made me relax i was really nervous one of the dishes they had us prepare was um, a chartreuse of pigeon, and it's really intricate dish. So the fact that I was relaxed, and that's what he was trying to yeah. come across with the wine, is, hey, relax, have fun with this. Okay. And that, you know, we try to promote that in all of our restaurants and, and the catering. We want to make sure everyone's comfortable with their surroundings, and if they're not, um, you know, we try to get them in a better frame of mind a big part of this is the uh you have so many little fire metaphorical fires and things that happen in restaurants all the time and if you gosh if you freak out on these things it just cascades doesn't it and that translates over to the ultimately to the experience for the guests the staff gets stressed the servers not all there everybody's you can't absolutely i mean guests feel that don't they I think they do. And we're in a small restaurant and we have what we, I don't know if you've been in the cafe, but we have four seats that sit right at the kitchen and the same at Perlou. Yeah. And so we're on a stage. Okay. And we make sure that, you know, one, we're handling the food properly, properly because everyone's looking and two, that you're enjoying yourself because they're going to get that vibe if you're not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole restaurant, and it'll transfer from this one person at the chef's table, and it'll go back to the people at the community table, and then it'll go to another another table, and it's, it's viral. Yep. So the moment people walk in the door, you got to make sure that they're comfortable with their surroundings. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. it starts in the kitchen, and then goes to the front of the house, and my manager, and everyone else. Okay, so you, when you opened Crew Cafe in 2002, uh, that was your first <clears throat> restaurant? Yeah. That well, you owned or started? So I had opened a restaurant here with some people called Sonoma. Okay. And it was on King Street. And the owners weren't real restaurant people, but we were able to create a restaurant that was well-respected. And yeah. we, we kind of were the first restaurant in Charleston to do real real eclectic food and not just stick with the southern type of food and we brought some ingredients in that people had never heard of and um we were a little bit skeptical about doing that but it was well received and after about a year and a half i just kind of saw saw that these 
people who were running the place weren't, um, they weren't going to make it. They didn't have the knowledge. Okay. So these are not restaurant people. These are, yeah, they, they wanted a coffee shop initially and it ended up being convinced to do a restaurant. Okay. So were they owner operators or were they just, they were owner operators and they okay. were managing and, um, basically it was a, I looked at it as a learning experience for me because I knew I wanted to do a restaurant eventually. Yeah. So every step I took throughout my career was to focus on the ultimate goal of owning a restaurant. Okay. And I was doing an opening and I had done a, a couple openings, restaurant openings on someone else's dime. Yeah. And learn from their mistakes and my mistakes. Sure. <clears throat> I knew that I wanted to do a restaurant and eventually it would be a new restaurant. So I needed to, go through restaurant openings. And that's where the consulting came in years ago where I would go and help people open restaurants to learn the process. Okay. Front of the house, back of the house, all the preparation to open a restaurant. And it's kind of a high. When you're opening a restaurant, the feeling of, of starting something new and coming up with something different and all of a sudden opening it up to the public and getting their response, it's absolutely an endorphin rush and a high and mm. I know people I know people in this town that are actually addicted to it where they're just continually opening restaurants sure and they're because of their knowledge they're real successful but they love that feeling of success and that high from just achieving something that not everyone can do sure yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's difficult if you can do it and you can do it in volume and at scale it's that's that's you're right uh, but I have to say that's a high and, and you recognize that. But then the other part of this is that ability to sustain that for yeah. 20 years. That is very challenging. And well, I mean, the, the statistic is that, and I don't think it is anymore, but, and especially in Charleston, but most rest, 50% of all restaurants fail in the first two years. Yeah. And that's not seen here as much. And I don't really know if that's an accurate stat, but it's something that was always taught to me. Yeah. So that, that, in my head kept me thinking we got to keep our game on yes yes all the time sure absolutely nobody wants to fail so we like i said earlier we surround ourselves with really good people and that's the key um, making sure that you have good people around you that respond to what you feel is the ultimate goal what's the ultimate goal as you said longevity yeah yeah you know Doing something. Building an institution. Well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, the number one goal is to make sure the people that walk in the door want to come back. Yeah. And making sure that you're functioning on the level that you expect from yourself. But, you know, longevity is big. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's tiresome. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, you have to find that balance between the daily execution of the things that never go out of style, the way you treat your <clears throat> guests and the experience they have and the way they feel their verse but then i'm sure you're having to use your creative juices all the time to evolve your menu you're using create you're using natural ingredients you're probably changing that uh and and using tapping into that creative side that i'm gonna guess you get some some of that endorphin rush when you yeah. come up with a new item that's just killer and you put it out there and people dig it absolutely i'm uh just recently you know we needed to go into menu change at perlu and I get a lot of my inspiration from magazines and okay. And what magazines? Oh, I, I mean, I get all of them. Okay. So, um, you know, just 
cooking magazines, Bon Appetit. Um, there's some great catering magazines out there. Okay. But it's not using the dish that you find in the magazine. It's looking at the dish and saying, wow, how can I recreate this my way? Yeah, sure. And that's what I became good at. Okay. Is, is really looking at something and saying, wow, this would be good if we did this. Okay. And we would go and test it and get a good response. And then that excitement of putting something on that you looked at and created on your own is really what, what gets that endorphin rich back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How did you wind up in Charleston, by the way? People ask me that all the time. It, it, it's been a long trip to Charleston. Okay. So I, um, as I said earlier, I started in Los Angeles, moved up to Northern California. Then I, I moved to Colorado. And then from Colorado, I moved back to California and went to culinary school and then came back to California from culinary school and knew that I needed to go somewhere that I could learn a lot more. And I went to Las Vegas and worked for Wolfgang Puck at Spago. Oh, wow. And that was probably the best experience because they do everything from scratch. Mm. And they're very, very well-tuned operation. So that was a wonderful experience. Did that for about a little over a year. And was offered a uh, job opening a restaurant in Atlanta called Canoe. Okay. And Is it still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a really, really good restaurant. Um, so... Moved to Atlanta, not knowing anybody, and and helped open this restaurant. That was the first restaurant I helped open as um, I was a sous chef there. Okay. So that was the initial endorphin rush that I got, that I knew that I wanted to do this. Yeah. And from there, the people I met in Atlanta, there were some key people in the management. They wanted to start a consulting team, and we started it in Savannah. Okay. So I moved to Savannah and we started this consulting team. They also had a base restaurant and I was running that restaurant. And so we did a couple other restaurant openings and, and got that rush again. And I knew this is what I wanted to do it. I went, I knew it at that yeah. point. So, um, it, we were at the point with this consulting team that we were kind of at a dead end. And there was one restaurant that we were helping open called Sonoma in Charleston. Yeah. And I was the consulting chef, and I just decided to stay. Okay. And that's so, the one that you knew that after a while they didn't... Yeah. I knew it wouldn't last that long, but well, it was then, a great experience, though. So you st- did you start the catering, the catering business you started first? So then after Sonoma, I saw the light at, at the end of the tunnel where they were not going to succeed and moved back to California sat down with myself and thought, what am I going to do now? I knew that I had grown a base of people that respected me in Charleston, and I already had built that for a year and a half. So moving here seemed to be the most logical option because I had already had that base of following where people knew my food, and if I was to do anything, at least I'd have that amount of people supporting me. Yeah, good foundation. Yep. So I moved back here, um, drove into town with $30,000 that my grandmother left me when she passed away and five credit cards and <laughs> drove down King Street or on uh, Meeting Street and right across the first day I got back, right across the street from Harris Teeter, there was a sign on a building for lease. It was a 700 square foot building with this really small catering kitchen in it and $8,000 later, it's mine. 
Nice. All the equipment inside, all the lease, and that was the start. So at least I had some credit cards to live off of. Eight grand and some credit cards. Did you, uh, now have you done all this yourself or have you taken on investors or? This is all me. It's all you. Yep. Nice, man. Um, My friend, congrats. That's yeah. fantastic. That's a nice position we were to be fortunate, in. fortunate, you know, I don't know what, why it comes natural, naturally to me, but we're fortunate we didn't need to hit banks up. We didn't need to hit anything up. That's yeah. awesome. Well done, man. Yeah. There's not many people that can say that, uh, and particularly yeah, ones that have been around as long as you have with a location. Now another one in 2017. That's dude. That's that's freaking. Especially yeah. in a town like Charleston, it ain't cheap to start a restaurant. Well, back town. then the, the banks wouldn't do business with restaurant people. Right. I mean, obviously, I've I've had to use the banks more in the last you know 10 years because yeah. they're much more receptive to doing business with me now. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I couldn't get in the door before. Isn't that funny? It's like when you need them the most, they don't want to hit yeah. you when you don't need them as much. It's and like I've got every bank calling me in, calling in you. Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, banks don't take a lot of front-end risk. That's not, no. their, that's not how they're wired. <laughs> no. Where's the collateral? That's more the uh, angel folks and the VC folks. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So when we were real lucky that we were able to manage our finances real well and not create a huge debt. And I would tell anybody who's doing a restaurant you know, I don't see how these guys build restaurants for $5 million and, and succeed. It's a lot on the front I mean, end. They're, yeah. they're spending three to $5 million to do these big restaurants. Yeah. But then, you know, they're also bigger restaurants, so they're creating more revenue. Still, it's a big risk. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, which I thought this was interesting, because you were early in your career in Breckenridge, you said that you, you just na- sort of naturally understood food costs. And... That's a big thing. I mean, I think a lot of chefs have the creative side down pat and can create great yeah. food, but then the the business side, the management, the financial aspect of it's a whole other side of your brain and uh, may not come as naturally sometimes, but you clearly have that down if you've done it the way you've done it. Um, where did that come from? Is that natural? I, I mean, or? seriously, I couldn't tell you. I was terrible at math. Um, yeah, didn't enjoy school. So, you know, I feel like I learned a lot from school, but wasn't able to, um, didn't test well. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when it came to test time, I was, it was my eyes were looking out the window. Me too. You were, you weren't interested. No. If, if you're not interested and you're that kind of sort of, that kind of personality, uh, you're not interested you're like really not interested and yeah. if you are you really are but so but, I, I i've asked myself that question what you just asked me yeah. and i try to look back to see what in my life helped me to have that natural feeling of of saving understanding what's waste and what's what what's right or wrong with handling food and i really can't pinpoint it but i i came to the conclusion that although i didn't do well in school i learned a lot yeah and applying it just came naturally to me i never knew where it was really coming from um you know my whole life my family just thought i wasn't as smart yeah you know hey they didn't have adderall back then yeah or they weren't diagnosing yeah these they just look and you say you're, you know, you're, you're kind of not smart. Yeah. 
Do, do you know Scott Crawford? Yeah. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. We had a similar conversation, man. Yeah. Same deal. Uh, just as he called it manic energy early on, he got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Didn't do well. And then when he found cooking, it's like, boom. Then he got to where he overdid it, you know, like so obsessed that he ignored his health and yeah. all that. And now he's, you know, he's into sobriety and everything. But anyway, it's, it's a, uh, I find that personality a lot in hospitality. Um, and I share that so I can relate to a lot of what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I can't pinpoint it. So yeah, I am lucky that I found something that I like to do and whatever in my life taught me between right or wrong is I'm able to apply it to this business. And I don't know if that would happen in anything else. I'm surprised you're not on, on some cat, some coffee then. Like, yeah, exactly. A lot of folks with this type of personality are, dialing into coffee right away never got into it <laughs> only i really enjoyed coffee when i was in europe and i kind of got spoiled it's way better there yeah it's good um i don't know why it is but you know i would drink a lot there and came back here and just didn't taste the same yeah are you what so the term ort ort yeah i didn't i was wondering that, okay so we're down at this camp you know i'm chaperoning for my son and when we eat the meals they said uh we are going to measure your ort after every meal. And I was like, what is ort? And all the kids are like, what? it's what food, food waste, I guess, or whatever you leave on your plate, what you don't eat. Okay. They're trying to encourage these kids to, you know, if you're going to put it on your plate, because it's buffet style, then you, you should eat it. Yeah. Of course, I got this table of 12 boys, and they think it's funny to, you know, have the, the goal is to not have any, you know, and of course they were wanting to create the most. And they had a bunch this morning, and I had this guy. Well, I said, weigh ours, weigh ours individually, because they weigh it for the whole school. I said, weigh ours individually, and we had two pounds. And I'm not going to be there for lunch because I'm here doing this. And I told the guy, I said, if they have one ounce of ort uh, for lunch today, they're going to they're gonna pay well, a big price. What does that stand for? I don't know. I don't know. But that's what they – I don't know if it's their so term. But it kind of brings up a memory for me. I mean, when I was younger, we had to make a happy plate. My parents looked at me and said, hey, finish your food. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we couldn't leave the table without a glass of milk. But Yeah, yeah. Well, what we told them, it was like, you know, they were like, well, I got full. We're, but just don't put it on the plate then. Yeah. Like, just put on the plate what you're going to eat or whatever, and it's, you're in control of that. So, anyway, I'm interested to see I mean, that's kind of crazy that you say that, you know, with catering. <laughs> when we do – a we have a function and we're putting food out on a buffet, which is, we don't do it as much. We have other ways of serving people now that have worked real well. But when we have a buffet, you see people just stacking this food on their plate. Yeah. And then they don't eat any don't of eat it. They don't eat it at all. And what, how can people be that? I, just, don't, I don't get We're disconnected, man. Yeah. We're not connected to our food anymore. We, we don't hunt it. We don't cultivate it. We don't kill it. <laughs> we don't butcher it. We don't grow it we don't tend to it it's just there you know it's like oh well here's this big you know and and uh i don't I'm think not, that's I'm, a great thing no and i'm not just saying this happens occasionally this happens all the, all the time. time yeah yeah they, they stack their plates they maybe they felt that they can eat more or whatever but they don't eat at all and i look at them and i just feel like they just don't get it i think we've lost because food is so readily available whether it's good quality real food or some mass produced um you know something that's in a package in the middle aisles of the grocery it's just so 
freaking available now that we don't really appreciate as much. I, I say we don't. However, I think very much that because we're becoming not just disconnected from our food, but from other people with these devices and these screens and we're all in these little worlds all the time that I actually think that folks like you and your team and what you do are becoming more and more meaningful and valuable in the communities you serve because it's one place you can go and it feels right to put your phone aside and sit there and have a meaningful conversation and have food that you know has been prepared with love and care and enjoy that. And I think that the more we, in so many aspects of our life that we get disconnected, that the place where we can connect becomes like much more meaningful. That's my little theory. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of truth to all that. I know that as a kid, I had to be home by five o'clock for dinner. Yeah. And with your family, I didn't have a cell phone. They didn't know where I was and they just know, knew that I had to be home at five, five 30, whatever it was. And then also every, um, every Friday night we had dinner at my grandmother's house Yeah. with my family. Yeah. Every Friday night. Yeah. No exception. Yep. And I don't think that's happening anymore. And the disconnect with food is, is a huge part of that. You know, yep. food creates families yes. and they create, in my mind, closeness in families and everyone celebrating the food on the table. And, um, I don't know if it's not happening anymore, but I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's not, dude. It's not. I yeah. mean, I, I can, it's not. So, I mean, that has the disconnect also is with, with their cell phones and everything else and all the electronic devices that people are tied up in now they feel that's the connection and, and it's not no no it didn't at all it's unfortunate i mean my kids are uh we struggle with that because yep. they're this they're this generation that grows up on these things and they don't even know how to have like they don't have a phone conversation yeah <laughs> i mean it's all of this text and stuff but i think that there's a uh, but there's this natural wiring that we want to be a part of a community we want to be a part of something and we want to have this connection that we're losing so when i go to a place like crew or perlu i that's where you're going to find that you're going to find it with the person you're with or the people you're with you're going to find it with the engaging staff you're going to find it when the food that you can tell you know when food's been prepared thoughtfully and with intention versus like you go to a big chain and it's just done at scale and it's just a process and it's just a totally different experience. You know, one of the, when we opened the cafe initially, one of my concerns was that the tables were too close to each other. It's a small restaurant, but we wanted to get yeah. as many seats in as we could. And the same with Perlu. You know, I think we have 32 seats at Perlu and 34 inside at the cafe. But my initial concern of people dining so close to each other was erased immediately when the people who were dining next to each other were were conversing with each other. Right. And then yeah. they were exchanging phone numbers. And they had never met each no. other. No. And where else do you do that now? I have no idea. Where? Nowhere. A bar? Somewhere in hospitality. Yeah. You don't do it anywhere else. And, and like that's it. That's so why there, it's so mean. So you know, some people will still come in and say, wow, the tables were too close. So I was, the guy next to me was on top of me. But a lot of them are building these friendships and responding on social media saying, oh, and we sat next to these people and they were so nice and they told yeah. us what they liked and, and they told us of another restaurant in town to go to. And that kind of reminded me of that 
feeling I used to get when we were having that Friday night dinner. Yes, sir. All right. These Amen. people are creating memories themselves. Yes. Yeah. And bonding well, over food. Well, we're not around our extended families as much now. We've moved around. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we don't have like the, the, both grandparents and cousins and everybody's in town and we go to, so we, we look for that. We need it. So when you have a opportunity like that, it's, it's a wonderful thing. People do that, and they're like, wow, that was refreshing. I didn't even plan to meet somebody new tonight. And You know, on another note with that, I mean, a lot of people complain about how restaurants are too loud now. Yeah. To me, I get what they're saying, but to me, that creates part of the vibe and gets you more involved in the crowd. Yeah, right. I don't want to be in a really loud restaurant, and I'm constantly trying to get Perlou to a level that's more manageable as far as the noise level goes. Um, but I do feel that creates a certain amount of electricity where yes. people are actually understanding that the people next to them are also enjoying this experience. And maybe, you know, we can talk to these people and see what they're thinking. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But ultimately, you know, family's number one. And that it's sad that People don't experience what I did as a child. And most of the people I knew had that same experience in their lives. Sure. Absolutely. But this started with people taking too much food and wasting food. And, you know, maybe at that point in my life, I realized what was put out is what we need to eat. And there was never an abundance of it where we were just saying, oh, well, let's throw away half of this because we didn't eat it. It was always... Yeah something that was managed and i don't know how that my grandmother and my mother managed that but it was always managed properly the food we had is what we ate yeah well it's care yeah. thought intention love all those ingredients went into that for sure absolutely yeah it's uh look i hear you brother i mean that's that is um it's it's a dying thing but i i when i, I really passionately believe that that what y'all are doing is becoming more and more meaningful in our cultures yeah. in our society today because it is the only place that you do that you don't do that anywhere else you don't people are wherever else you go the airport the library the whatever a park they're 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 locked in they're yeah, you know they're, they're talking just, to people no they're not so it's a one place to do that let me ask you this you have a, clearly you have a incredible team um, yeah, I'll take a little bit more too. Um, you've got great people here. I bet a lot of them have been with you for a long time. Thank you. What are the, um, I mean, obviously you treat them well and you take good care of them and you respect them. And thank you. Angel. Um, you lead by example. I can tell that without even having to ask you what are the, what types of, uh, ancillary benefits other than good pay and things like that are you able to provide because that's hard in a small restaurant situation or a small group of restaurants like uh, health care things like that those things are just i mean i feel like i do pay well yeah and i have and i try to keep up with what's going on out there but i really i don't know why people i have you know somebody managing the cafe my chef at the cafe has been with me i think 15 years yeah and she's progressed through 
all the positions and now she's my um chef de cuisine or um executive chef either either title's good for her but that's awesome um she did a podcast recently with somebody and I was trying to get out of the podcast from her why she loves and sticks around so long, so for so long. And she just said, it's my home. You yeah. know, everything I've gone through in my life, I've experienced it here. Yeah. And, you know, they, they meaning me have been there in my rough times and, and we treat people like people. Yeah. And we make sure that if they're having personal issues, which everyone has, is that we help them as much as we can, or at least we offer to. And, you know, one of the biggest problems I've had through the 20 some odd years of doing this is that I want to be friends with all these people. Being friends with people you work with is the biggest challenge yeah. of anything in this business. Well, if you, especially if you manage them. Exactly. So, you know, initially I became friends with everybody and we'd hang out outside of work and, I had to stop that, but, you know, that feeling of being friends with the person who is your boss, I think really forms a connection. Yeah. And, you know, they got to like you. They're not going to work for you. They're not going to work hard if they don't like you. They got to like you. They have to respect you. There's a balance. Yeah. There's an art that you, you've probably figured out through trial and error over time of what that balance is between, you know, being close to them personally, but also having... A so I really don't know the answer to that, yeah. but I'm fortunate to have good people that have stuck around. Absolutely. <clears throat> I've, Absolutely. Got, I've got several people who work for me over 10 years and, um, you know, having that conversation with them at, at a point in your work relationship of, Hey, are you still liking this? You know, where are yeah. you at? Where's your head at? Um, if you're not, let's, let's do something different and, and, you know, maybe keep it more interesting for people and not have them do the same thing every day, every day. Right. I always walk into the cafe and say, okay, you've been on the station now for a year. You've worked for me for the last 10 years. How are you feeling? We need to get you learning more. We need to get you helping with specials. We need to get you on another station. We need to do something to keep your interest. Sure. And the fact that I show concern with that, I think that's a big reason why they want to work. I think it's a huge reason because one of the things that we all share is we want validation and we want people to care about us and know us. And, um, I mean, they're people. Yeah, they're that's not, right. They're not just bodies. That's right. Well, it's interesting. You, you came up, you know, it's in, you talked earlier about the front of the house and you weren't really into that scene, but boy, through your career, you must've seen a big change in the way the kitchens are run. I mean, you even had TV shows with these guys yelling and screaming and that was like celebrated. And that's not, oh, like, no. that I mean, I was going to mention that earlier. That doesn't, that didn't cut mustard. Now nobody puts up with that now. They'll just quit. Like, exactly. I yeah. Mean, there's not that many people in our workforce now, but you know, the transition from becoming that screaming <laughs> chef, which was the, the way it was years ago. Mm -hmm. It was, I put that aside four years in yeah. three, three, four years in, I'm, I, I just, you can't treat these people that way. And I did, I treat, I, you know, I, I beat on some people. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, but that was like what you did then, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of like every kitchen you worked in, that was kind of the, the MO. It's how they taught me to teach people. Yeah. Yeah. By, um, 
by being really direct to the point and and forceful with yeah. the way you're teaching people and it just doesn't work yeah you might you might get people to um you might get results short term but you're not going to get somebody that's going to stick with you for a long time if you're doing they're always going to have their eye uh, you know somewhere else right when they're feeling like they're just not being respected so it's nice to see the industry do you know the industry's going through a lot of changes uh and um it's good to see that type of leadership changing it's good to see uh, it's good to see what steve uh and i uh, was it mickey that ben's friends uh what yeah. those guys are doing with mm-hmm. sobriety that's a good thing um actually um the gentleman they named that after ben was part of our consulting team in savannah and we mm-hmm. became good friends so obviously it was sad to hear what happened to him but the fact that they're carrying his name on in, in a good way is really rewarding it's fantastic it's a great thing um Love seeing that. Love seeing a lot of the change in this industry. You mentioned that you had your uh, your uh, sous chef or executive chef on a podcast. Do you listen to podcasts? I know you listen to that one, but do you ever listen to podcasts? I don't. You don't? I'm no. not. Um, I still wonder what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. Just, I mean, what do we used to call it? I mean, it's just videotaping conversation, right? Yeah. Or just a, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I don't know. It, you know, there's some that are... Um, where do you get them? Where do you, where do you know? Where <laughs> you do you that, go to get a podcast? You got to get the podcast. You get a little podcast app and then you subscribe. <laughs> um, it's like subscribing to, a, I don't know, whatever. Like going on Netflix and having TV shows. You know, I want yeah. this one and this one and this one <clears> podcast. <throat> You're just like, I listen to a lot of them. Uh, I enjoy them. I like hearing people's stories, hearing people talk, sharing what they do, what they love. Um, what do you What do you do in your free time? Because, I mean, that literally that that got me interested because it's uh, you know i read that you spend time thinking about the business in your free time what else do you do um i mean right now the last year has been quite challenging my family's three thousand miles away so i've had to spend some time out there the last year to assist them in their older age Mm. and i it's kind of been a whirlwind where when I'm in Charleston, I'm getting very caught up with what my duties are and then go to Los Angeles, spend some time there and then come back and everything's built up again. So it's just like it's starting over. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a big roller coaster ride of, all right, get all, the, get all this work done. You're on the top of the roller coaster. You're able to leave town, leave town. You're on the bottom and you come back up and that pile's built up again. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, thank, thank God I have some great people that surround me and I get to hang out with them when I can. Yeah. But, you know, being an operator, owner and operator is definitely a challenging position to be in and we're constantly evolving and making sure that things are running properly. So it consumes a lot of time. Doing what you're doing, having to travel back and forth, operating a town like Charleston, which is highly competitive and just so many... Uh, great things going on here so that's dude, you got a lot figured out man that congrats I, like truly, i said you gotta have good people around you yeah but good people attract good people you know and you know that i mean you're I, you're going to be humble about it as you you know it, it was i expected but there's a reason that they stay with you. there's a reason that she feels like it's home i mean it's because of the way she's treated by the person who owns the business and all the staff will feel the same you know you're a 
caring dude and thoughtful and intentional and, and uh, it matters to you how people feel when they come here and it's not all about you and dude, that's, that's why they're here. That's, that's why they come. That's why they stay. Bottom line is, you know, life is short. You, you need to have people around you that enjoy what they're doing yeah. because if they don't, you're not going to enjoy your life and it's going to be a constant battle to catch up. Yeah, sure. Um, Anything on the horizon? I mean, you just opened Perlue. No more restaurants. Yeah, no more restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you were saying that before Perlue, too. You'll get there. Yeah. You'll get there. I but, mean, that was 18 years later that we opened Perlue. So, yeah. I mean, part of... We'll cut it in half. Some of the, the write-ups we had was after 18 years, they're doing another restaurant. Oh, why? And uh, I just wanted that energy back. Why? Really? <laughs> God. Do you remember those? Uh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, well, you can't read everything that's written on the on the internet. I mean, if you do, you will go crazy. Oh, for sure. I can't please everybody. I can't imagine having to deal with Yelp reviews. That would drive me nuts. I don't read them. I read them occasionally. If I see a bad one, I pass it on to my manager so they can react. But yeah, um, ultimately, if you read those all the time, it will bring you down mentally. It will. And the thing about it is you're... you're you're not seeing the full picture, right? You're just seeing these like these little slivers of negativity when everybody else is happy and they're positive and they had a great experience, so great that they didn't take the time to go to Yelp because you know most people are going to go there when they're pissed or whatever. It's, I mean, everyone's a critic. We had a review recently at Perlu where they just didn't have a good experience. They didn't like our wine glasses. They didn't. They just didn't like it. They didn't like the concept. Yeah. That yeah. was it. I, I'm not going to call people and convince them to come back if they didn't like the concept. concept right. Sure. All right. I, I can't please 100% of the population, but if I can please 99%, I'm fine with that. You know, one of the things that uh, you're really doing well, clearly, is, um, I mean, it's something that we built this business, Schedulefly, on it's, okay, who is our ideal customer? Like, what is that person like, you know? And we said, well, it's, it's independent restaurants and it's people that really uh, care deeply about who they, you know, who they serve. They care about the product that they put on the plate. They care about their community and they like, you know, simple solutions and they don't need, they're not relying on technology to be what makes their restaurant great. They want little technology because they know that people matter. And that's what we said, okay, like that's who we can please. People that want to, I can't please them. Like, whatever. Yeah. There's other places to go. There's other restaurants for people that are, you know, let them go somewhere else. Uh, because the ones that are happy, more opportunity for them to come back. I mean, I've walked into restaurants and not felt comfortable when people have great reviews of it. And it just maybe wasn't something that was for me. And I fully understand that. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to wrap this up. I want to. Um, respect your time but uh how do you feel about the dodgers go blue go blue they're good this year they are man i feel like two years ago it was kind of some bad decisions against houston i feel like we could have taken that last year i felt like the red sox oh here's a great story i gotta tell you since yes yes so i have a car it's an old bmw and it got flooded in a hurricane and um it wasn't a bad. It didn't wasn't a bad flood, but eventually, 
the insurance company totaled it and they paid me off on the car. So they, they put a red flag on the, um, on the, the title, but it could still be utilized. So I put some money into that to fixing it. And I took the rest of the money and bought my family world series tickets. No. (laughs) Was this last year or two years ago? The Houston series. Oh, so I flew out to Los Angeles, took my sister, my, my mother, my father, my brother-in-law to a world series game. And, you know, I don't think it was illegal to utilize that money in that way. But when we're walking into the game, the insurance carrier was a huge sponsor and there was a huge sign as you walk into the game (laughs) of the insurance carrier's name. And all we could do is look at the sign and thank them. That's awesome. So I was one fortunate to see World Series game, which I'd never done. Did we win that one? Uh, It was... It went 11 innings, yes. and we ended up losing, but yep. it was one of the best games I've ever seen in my it's life. A phenomenal game. Unbelievable. I remember saying the next day, it sucked to lose, but just to watch that was like... I mean, I'm really getting chills right now thinking about it because the energy that you feel in a stadium when there's that much on the line and, yes. and so much competitiveness and yes. so much back and forth, I mean, it was amazing every single pitch if you don't play like i played baseball and i love baseball like people are like baseball's boring but dude you either like if you get it you get it fully and it's just amazing because especially playoff baseball it's like every single pitch matters i had never it, done it live yeah oh i'm so jealous yeah that's so cool i hope they get back they it would be great for them to win one this year well we will keep our fingers crossed I told all the kids in my cabin last night, I said the Dodgers are going to win the World Series this year. Just, you need to know that. They will win. They just, they haven't had enough significant games down the road, so that's my only concern. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, it'll and be They fun. locked it in so early. 8.30 tonight, right? I'll be there. Yeah. Love it. John, thank you very, very much. Angel, yeah, thank for you me, for Will. putting this together. This is awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate the business, man. You are like when I said, like you, you are the perfect customer. In quotes, you know. You by like the it. way, you're, you're the schedule fly is working really well for us, and it really helps us to c- communicate with our staff in a way that's so much easier. And uh, you know, we're glad to be using it. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah. that. Hopefully, it helps you when you're out there and three thousand miles away to. Have a way to stay engaged. I, I don't do that. Oh, you don't? <laughs> no. My managers do <laughs> Your that. Your managers do that. I hear you, man. Well, good. Uh, well, listen, thank you very much for the time. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, for the culinary scene here in Charleston and what you do. And we didn't talk about this. We'll do it maybe another time. What you do. I know you uh, do a lot of community work and, and uh, you have some interests that you're very passionate about uh, within the community. So th- just thank you, man. Thank you for everything. Appreciate no, well, it. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, we'll keep fighting the fight. I hear you, man. All right. Y'all, that is a wrap. We'll have another episode soon. See ya.